Russian forces have recently claimed control of Luhansk, the northern province of the region. The fighting there fierce as Ukrainian forces try to fend off Russia as it looks to take the rest of the Donbass. Key Ukrainian-held cities in the region coming under attack in Slovyansk, Russian missiles destroying a local market and the city of Kramatorsk facing intense shelling as Russian forces move in on Donetsk. Donetsk Basin, that's the area shortened to be the Donbass, as was just mentioned there. The eastern industrial region in which Russia is seeking control of because it has got all kinds of strategic value, and the Russians are succeeding. The governor of the Donetsk region has urged all 350,000 civilians to evacuate as the Russians have gotten so close and are just pounding all these different towns with their long-range missiles that the Ukrainians, at least as of yet, can't match. Um, it's a troubling situation. The world attention is not on this the way it was early on, and I'm concerned for that reason also. We've talked to Dr. Jeff McCausland many times over the years. He's a CBS News military consultant, founder and CEO of Diamond Six Leadership and Strategy, senior fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the Naval Academy. Um... Yeah, retired in 2002, culminating his career as Dean of Academics, United States Army War College. Dr. Jeff McCausland, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show today. Jack, it's great to be with you. Uh, is it as dire as I just explained it? Well, it's fairly dire. There's no two ways about it. There's, Ukrainians have suffered an enormous setback with the loss of Severodonetsk and Luzhichansk, which were the last two major cities in the Hansk province. And as you rightly point out, the Russians are redoubling their efforts now to take the Donetsk province, and those two provinces comprise the Donbass. And they're doing it in that steady fashion, again, you described, of heavy missile and artillery attacks and basically pulverizing villages and towns and then moving slowly forward. And I think we're going to see them repeat that uh, as they move on to, to the Donetsk. That being said, we have seen the Ukrainians have some success down in the south. They have moved closer to the city of Kherson and potentially could threaten to reclaim that from, from Russia. And we're starting to see, I think, some of the effects of the arrival of more modern military equipment from the United States and Western European allies, including more 155-millimeter howitzers with a lot more accurate artillery ammunition, and the new HIMARS uh, long-range rocket system, which can put a round out at 40 or 50 miles. In the last couple of days, we've seen long-range strikes by the Ukrainians against a Russian air base and a Russian ammo dump, which, from the, from the way it looks to me, those likely were HIMARS strikes. But at the moment, at least, there's no question the Russians outgun the Ukrainians, particularly in artillery, and this has devolved into being an artillery war, at least for the time being. Man, which is straight out of what, the uh, the, the 1930s? I mean, it's pretty old-timey, isn't it? It's pretty old-timey for us. This is sort of World War II type, but the Russians, Soviet Union, had always emphasized heavy and mass fires as part of the military doctrine. And if even you go back in the late 1990s, this, to me, looks more like the Russian military operation in Chechnya, mm. when a, at a time unknown guy rose up to become prime minister of Russia. His name was Vladimir Putin, and he decided he was going to reassert Russian control over Chechnya, which had managed to break away. What the Russians did in Chechnya, a small province of only a couple million people, is pretty much what they're doing here, and that is just pound these villages and towns into submission, <clears throat> basically seek to break the willpower of the population, drive people out in terms of being refugee flows, which then makes the, your rear areas more secure, number one, and perhaps causes those refugees to be a problem for your opponent. And this is exactly what they're doing. So anybody who thinks that 
Russian artillery strikes against apartment buildings, hospitals, maternity wards, railway stations. These are some kind of errors or the efforts of, of uh, marauding units is wrong. This is actually Russian military doctrine and policy. They are aiming at the civilian. It's their doctrine and policy, and they have been successful in the past, as you just explained. And, and that took a long time, right? That took years, which is one of the troubling aspects of this. Putin did not get deterred by that brief flash in the early weeks and months of success of the Ukrainians and the world getting so excited. He was in it for the long haul. Yeah, I always say that Mr. Putin pushed all his poker chips to the center of the table, and there's not really a retirement home for old dictators. So he could hardly go back to go back to the Russian people and say, gee whiz, we tried that and it didn't work. Now, he has, I think, scoped down his objectives. His objectives at the onset, I think, were to take out the Ukraine or at least take out the Ukrainian government. And that's why they had this multi-pronged offensive at the beginning focused on Kiev, Kharkiv, down the Donbass, as well as the coast of the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea. They've had to scope that down dramatically. Their efforts to take Kharkiv and Kiev failed. Their effort to take the entirety of the Black Sea close coast all the way to Odessa so far have failed as well. And so they've concentrated their efforts on this Donbass region. Now, whether or not after, if they are in fact successful, and they, and they only control about half of the Donetsk province, so if they are in fact successful in the coming weeks in capturing that, might he declare a ceasefire and try to get the world community to kind of forget about this as we kind of did when he occupied Crimea back mm-hmm. in 2014 is certainly a possibility. Right. Um, I've got no military background, so I'm just like a regular person watching this on the news. I still watch it every day. And the the heartbreaking stories out of these towns, I mean, not only are they just being pounded, just regular people living their lives in regular towns that look like wherever you live, just getting pounded indiscriminately, um, which is the, the, the strategy, as you just explained. And then when the Russians roll into town, really, really bad things happen. Really bad things happen. They don't just establish law and order. They rape, pillage, plunder. It's it's terrible. Why don't the Ukrainians already have the equipment they need to stop this from happening? What's going on there? Well, first of all, it's difficult to transfer a lot of sophisticated weaponry and have it integrated into their forces quickly. A lot of the use of HIMARS, these long-range rocket systems, require the ability to operate the weapon, to do the targeting to also pass the information. How do you link that up in a system with drones that acquire a target, get accurate coordinates or guide guide weapons on the target? How do you compute firing data? How do you prioritize targeting? That's a system, and it takes a while to educate somebody on a system. I can train you on how to fire a javelin or how to fire a stinger, which is a direct fire weapon system, probably in a couple of days. Hmm. We saw the Ukrainians using those to good effect in the early days of this war. Now we're talking about much more complex systems that take a longer period of time. Secondly, I don't think that we've provided the Ukrainians uh, sufficient military forces really to do a counteroffensive. Part of that is our concern for them being able to absorb it. Part of that is our concern that it could lead to escalation. Part of that, I think, is probably a concern of just how much military hardware can we transfer before we've sort of dipping down into U.S. and other NATO allies' wartime stocks ourselves. Uh, there's not that much surplus military hardware that's out there. Hey, I just I want to jump in here because we're down to like 45 seconds, and I wonder your opinion on this. I ask everybody, how worried do you get about it escalating into World War III? Are we being too cautious? I worry about it a great deal. I mean, I think we're in the greatest possible nuclear confrontation since uh, November of 1962 or October 62 in the Cuban Missile Crisis. We could have, you know, an aircraft fly across the border and get shot down, a missile hit Lithuania, two ships collide tonight, and you could see a real 
dramatic escalation in the confrontation between the United States, NATO versus the Russians. And I think it's something we just cannot take our eye off of. Armstrong and Getty. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.